Luke chapter 6. There, there were two sisters who uh, were hosting a very popular traveling preacher in their home, and his presence was a big deal in their town, and so they decided to invite everybody that they knew. They invited their family, their friends, neighbors, and, and brought them into the home and threw a big dinner in his, in his honor. One sister of the two was a real detailed-oriented person. She wanted everything to be perfect for this special occasion, and so, so she spent the whole day uh, uh, readying her, her home and preparing food. In fact, even when the guests arrived the, and, and the uh, people who came to be a part of that got there, she still was, uh, was working in the kitchen, working to prepare food and make sure that everything went off as it should. She wanted it to be flawless. Uh, for this man she was hosting. Now, the other sister was a little bit different. She was not so much detail-oriented, and in fact, she enjoyed uh, getting to know the guest preacher that was there, and so she was out with the other folks and listening to what he had to say, and she was just absolutely captivated by he and what he had to say. And so rather than busying herself with the preparations like the sister, the other sister, she just sat there at the preacher's feet and listened and focused on getting to know him. Well, as you can imagine, the first sister was a little perturbed by all of this. She was aggravated even that her sister was not helping with the preparations. And so she even went so far as to go out and ask the preacher if he would tell her sister to go and help her to get things finished and ready for dinner. Uh, his response was very surprising, not only to the sister who was asking, but surprising to the guest as well. Uh, rather than rebuking the sister who was not helping, he praised her. Told, told this lady that her sister had actually chosen the greater thing and she had chosen the lesser. In fact, he pointed out how, busy, how the busy sister was anxious and troubled by many things. Her anxiety was increased by her activity and it, none of that had brought peace into her life. It only added to her troubles. And yet on the other hand, the sister who was out there with him and listening to what he had to say and enjoying getting to know him did not possess those same anxieties Troubles. I don't know if you recognize that story, but it's my rendition of what you'll find in Luke chapter 10 in the story of Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha had a brother named Lazarus, but at this point Jesus has visited their house for the first time and interacted with this family. They later would become really, really good friends. Jesus would love them and he, they would love him. We're going to look at that text in the coming months. I share it because I believe it depicts the difference between what we would call religion and relationship. I don't know what your preference is this morning. In fact, if we were to ask you the question, do you, would you prefer religious activity or would you prefer relationship with Jesus Christ? I got to believe that you would say relationship, right? Especially if you've been around the Bible, around church much at all, you would say, that's absolutely what I would prefer. I want to know Jesus. I want to be in a relationship with Jesus. I don't want to be religious. I don't want to go through motions. I want to be in relationship with the Lord. And while that may be true, here's what I think. If we're honest with ourselves, the reality is that we too often would prefer religion over relationship. And here's the reason. In our pride, in our self-righteousness, we really do like the idea of working and making a way for ourselves. We want to pave our own path. 
Like Martha, we want Jesus to be proud of what we do for him. And we believe that our quote-unquote doing will bring rest and freedom to our lives. But actually the opposite is true. We believe the forms of worship lead us to greater understanding and closeness to the Lord. But the opposite is actually true. And so as we've been working verse by verse through these first five chapters in the Gospel of Luke, what we've seen is that Luke has been revealing this same struggle among the scribes and the Pharisees. Over and over again, they're coming to Jesus with questions about what he is not just doing, but what he's not doing. Right? We, we've seen it. We finished up chapter 5, I believe, on May 1st. And, and so right there at the end of chapter 5, what we're seeing is the scribes and the Pharisees arguing with Jesus because he's eating with ta- tax collectors and sinners. Right? They're arguing over whether or not his disciples fast and whether or not they should fast like John's disciples and, and the Pharisees themselves. And so they're struggling to understand Jesus. They simply could not fit his practice within their religious paradigm. So they question Jesus and his disciples often, wondering how they could follow God when they did not do all of the religious things that they and others perceived to be important To know the Lord. Jesus addresses those. He's going to address those in the passage that we're going to see and look at this morning. In fact, as we look at chapter 6 over the next several weeks, we're going to find that Jesus is going to establish three new spiritual realities that are going to replace the old, worn-out aspects of the Jewish tradition. He's going to speak about a new Sabbath. He's going to talk about a new nation. And then he's going to talk about a new blessing in the new spiritual kingdom. Today and next Sunday, we're going to look at the new Sabbath. So I'm going to kind of switch gears from where we were at in our music this morning to talk about the faithfulness of God, even though the faithfulness of God is here. But I want us to look at the Sabbath and how Jesus is everything the Sabbath foreshadowed in the Old Testament. So if you got your Bible, Luke chapter 6, let's begin reading in verse 1. Luke says, On a Sabbath, while he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And he also gave it to those with him. Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. This morning, from these verses, I want us to look at the Lord our Sabbath. And as I just said, I want us to understand that Jesus is everything foreshadowed in the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? Well, the Sabbath, as we know, was based upon the seventh day. The sanctity of the seventh day was a distinctive part of the Jewish faith. You see, God gave Israel the law, the the commandment regarding the Sabbath through the Mosaic law, through the, the teaching of Moses. We specifically read it in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Verse 8 tells us that we're to keep the Sabbath day holy. Right? We're to, we're to, we're to remain, keep that day holy. We're to remember the Lord in that. The Lord 
calls us to acknowledge and to reserve the Sabbath day because it's a sign symbolizing the relationship between God and His people. The, the word Sabbath simply means rest. It's the idea of you resting in the Lord, and it's linked with God's cessation from work in creation. You go to Genesis 1 and uh, Genesis 2, you see that He created all that there is in six days, and then on the seventh day, God rested. Now, we ask the question, why did He rest? Does God need a rest? No. I, I spent most of the afternoon yesterday uh, and Friday evening, mowing, weed eating, cutting limbs and little saplings. And I mean, I, I, was, I was done after all that. Out in the sun all afternoon, I was tired. I woke up this morning with a level of tiredness, level of fatigue. Why? Because I expended lots of energy, lots of time in the sun yesterday, so I needed a rest. When God created all that there was, He didn't need a rest. But he did that so that it speaks to what was going to come. The, the resting that we would enjoy and, and need in the Lord. When God established his covenant with Israel, he did command them to rest on the seventh day just as he did. If they did not rest on the Sabbath, the, the stipulation within the law was death. The punishment was death. And so that led the teachers of Israel, the rabbis of Israel, because of the severity of this law, to develop over time a series of 39 different categories uh, about work. So they listed everything you could possibly imagine could be work. They listed it there and said, this is things you're not supposed to do on the Sabbath, on Saturday, the seventh day of the week. And so that also obviously became all kinds of subdivisions that were endless, and you go to a Jewish person's house today, you go to Israel today, and there are endless things that you cannot do on the Sabbath, which all of that goes back to the teachings found within the Mishnah. And there in the Mishnah, of those 39 categories, three of them are classified as reaping, threshing, and winnowing. And here in our text, as we look at the Pharisees interacting with Jesus, they are accusing Jesus and his disciples of breaking those three categories on the Sabbath. You see, when they plucked the heads of grain, they were reaping the harvest. When they took the grain and rubbed it in their hands, they are winnowing and, and um, that other word that I was looking at. They are threshing and winnowing. I tell them not a farmer. They were rubbing the grain in their hands, separating it from the chaff, and leaving the grain there for them to eat. And so Jesus and his disciples are doing these things, and yet Jesus is going to tell us that it wasn't breaking the Sabbath at all. And so how can that be? We're going to ask those questions. We're going to try to answer those questions this morning. But for, for now, let's just suffice to say that the Pharisees and the scribes are here laying out before us strict and oppressive rules that were laid upon the Sabbath that the Lord never intended to be there. And so Jesus here is challenging not just their doctrine, but their authority to ask such questions. And this debate with them reveals that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so in that, we're going to discover that Jesus is the rest for his people foreshadowed in the Sabbath itself. And as we work through this passage, we're going to see three divine principles. The first one is this. Meeting human needs is more important to the Lord than protecting religious rules. I don't know if you heard that, but that's a good word. 
Meeting human needs is more important to the Lord than protecting religious rules. I'm grateful that God is not some cantankerous law follower, but he's more concerned about people than it is about the thing, even though he set the thing in, in order. But we get our minds, we get our, our mindset there that we got to do this and this and this and this, and we forget that all of that was more geared toward the people, the person, than it is about formalities. Jesus never loses sight of people. And so the Pharisees declared here that what Jesus and his disciples were doing was not lawful. You see that in verse 2. That just raises a big question for me. Jesus and his disciples are walking through the grain fields. They're plucking the heads of grain. They're rubbing it in their hands. They're getting a quick meal. This is takeout, I guess you could call it, as they go through the grain fields. But how in the world could the scribes and the Pharisees know what Jesus and his disciples were doing? Well, obviously they were following they were spying. They were trying to find Jesus in some sort of predicament where they could leverage that to discredit him personally and discredit his ministry publicly. And yet what Jesus and the disciples were doing, simply eating from the grain fields, was actually lawful from the Mosaic law standpoint. The law allowed for someone to enter a neighbor's field and to take some of the produce. You could go to an orchard, you could go to a vineyard, you could go to the grain field, and as long as you didn't bring a basket with you or tools to harvest, and you're simply gleaning from what's there, you could get a meal. So as they do that, they're not breaking the law from that standpoint, but from the scribe's standpoint, they're breaking the law of the Sabbath. And so as Jesus hears this accusation from these religious leaders, he responds with two questions. First, he asked if they had read the account of David and his men eating the bread of the presence. You'll find that story in 1 Samuel chapter 21. The bread of the presence, you probably don't have a, a, a real clear understanding of what that is, but the bread of the presence was unleavened bread that was baked and then laid out in two rows, two sets of rows of six loaves, laid out there on a golden table within the tabernacle and then later within the temple. The bread of the presence symbolized God's presence. It also symbolized the idea that God is the source of Israel's strength. See, where do you get strength from? Food. You get strength from bread. That's the idea in the Jewish mind. And so if you were weak, you needed something to eat. And so the bread of presence set before the Lord there in the tabernacle symbolized and reminded Israel that their strength did not come from something they did. It came and comes from who God is and what God does for them. We also learn in the Bible that this bread was ceremonially clean and reserved only for those who are Arionic priests. Leviticus chapter 24 would tell us this. In other words, the priesthood were the only people who could partake of this bread. And yet Jesus here reminds these, these, uh, these Pharisees that when David and his men were fleeing from King Saul and they had nothing to eat, they had no provisions, they stopped by and visited a priest by the name of Ahimelech in Nob and asked for something to eat. And this priest says, I don't have anything but the bread of the presence that has just been taking off the, tailor, the, the table. If you're clean, you can have it. And David says, we're clean. There's nothing ceremonially unclean about us. They took it, they ate the bread, and it gave them strength and nourishment for their journey as they fled from Saul. That's the story that Jesus refers to. 
Now, his point in referring to this story was to indicate that the Lord is more concerned with mercy than sacrifice. It's interesting, or it should be interesting to us, that the priest doesn't tell David that he can't have the bread, even though David is not a priest. David is from the tribe of Judah. He's not from the tribe of Aaron or Levi. And so he shouldn't have ate the bread, and yet the priest gives it to him. So it tells us something significant. It clues us in to something significant. And that is the Lord is more concerned with mercy than he is sacrifice, more concerned with the person's heart than their religious activity. It's more concerned with meeting needs than about protecting religious rules. The second question Jesus asked is found in Matthew chapter 12, where Matthew records a little bit different aspect of this encounter. If you were to look there, but don't for the sake of time, don't turn to Matthew 12 unless you've got quick fingers. But listen to what verse 5 says. Jesus says this to the, to the Pharisees. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? What do you mean by that, Jesus? What Jesus is pointing out here is that you're saying that we're not to do any work on the Sabbath, and yet the priests who serve in the temple, what are they doing? They're working. The priests are working. The priests are sacrificing. They're cutting the throats of animals. They're pouring the blood out. They're burning the offering. They're splashing the blood into certain places on the altar. That is work. Now, I know some of you, because some of you joked with me this morning, that pre preachers work about one hour a week. I taught small group this morning, so I at least got an hour and a half of work today, okay? If only that were true. Sunday morning is a job for me. Sunday morning is a job for our staff. Because this is the work that God's called us to do. And so what Jesus is pointing out here is that the, the, the point is not so much in the forms of what the Sabbath is. It's the idea behind it that it's pointing to something far greater at play. And that is what Jesus points out in Matthew chapter 12, verse 6. He says, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. You see, the Sabbath is moving God's people in a certain direction, and it's going to culminate in Jesus himself. So it brings us to a second principle really, really quick. Here's what it is. The Lord rules over the Sabbath. The Pharisees had failed to recognize Jesus as God the Son. We have seen that already as we've walked through the Gospel of Luke in these first five chapters and now the first five verses of chapter 6. They do not understand who Jesus is and what Jesus is all about. To, to them, he's nothing more than a rival teacher. He's, he's someone that's, that's stealing the, the, uh, the affection and the love of the people from them and their teachings. And so they did not recognize him as the giver of the law and therefore greater than the law. And yet Jesus makes the point for them in Luke chapter 6 verse 5 when he says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That, that should be a clear indicator that what we're talking about here is not the way you understand it. The Sabbath is not about religion. It's not about forms. It's not about formality. The Sabbath is pointing to something greater. And the greater one is right before you. The Lord is, or the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And what does that mean for us? It means that as the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus rules the Sabbath. He's the one who created it. He's the one who ordained it. He's the one who owns it. Therefore, he does not serve it, nor is he guilty before the Sabbath. How dare the Pharisees look at the Lord of heaven and say, you're breaking the law. He is above 
the law. Better yet, let's look at it this way. He is the fulfillment of that law. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. We're going to see that very clearly in just a moment. So this debate is over the Sabbath, and as such, we cannot help but wonder about the purpose of the Sabbath. Here's a question. Did God give mankind the Sabbath day so that they would simply remember his activity and the rest that he did and then mimic those actions, or is there something more? Mark, in his gospel, clues us into what I believe is the something more. There, Jesus says in Mark 2, 27, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Pharisees, as we know, served the law. But according to Jesus, in in Mark chapter 2, the law was meant to serve you and I. Paul would say it like this. Paul would describe the law as a tutor. The law is the thing that that God uses to help us understand our sinfulness, the reality of our fallenness, the reality of our separation from God, the reality of our condemnation before God, and it would lead us and drive us to the one who can save us, the one who can remedy us. And so as we look at the Sabbath, it's not so much that i got to do this religious action. It's the idea of what is this, reaction, this religious action should be leading me to understand. And the thing it's supposed to lead me to understand is I need the greater one, not more religious activity. I need the answer behind the question. I need the one that it was pointing to from the very beginning. And so as we look at the Sabbath... The law was intended to protect God's people from overwork and the idolatry of work. In other words, from them stepping back and saying, look what I've done. Look what I've done. Look what I've created. Look at the kingdom that I've established. And it's all been accomplished because I am such a great person. And I have such great ingenuity. And I have such great creativity. And I've got such a great work ethic. And I've done all of this. But instead, what the Sabbath says is you go do work because God's created you to do work. But there's one day a week that you rest so you understand that God is the one who actually sustains you and provides for you and gives you everything that you need. It's to protect them from the routine that regularly forgets God by reminding them in an entire day each week that their Lord is their God and they are his people. You see, the Sabbath was given to refresh the souls and the bodies of people by having them meet with the Lord. On that seventh day each week, they would gather together and they would meet with the Lord and meet with one another. And there, it was the kindness and the gracious of God that led them to dedicate this entire day during the week so that they might know Him and, and meet with Him and enjoy Him and be refreshed by Him. It's clear here from Jesus' words that He and His men were not breaking the Sabbath as they plucked those heads of grain and rubbed them in their hands. Yet, how can this be? It's on one level seems a little bit contradictory. God, if you've said in your law you're not to do any work and Jesus is doing this work, and yet I understand that, that, we, that man's created all these categories and, and, and forms. I remember our, our um, translator, our, our helper, not translator necessarily, but our guide in, in Israel talked about the severity of the law and why the Jewish faith, the Jewish tradition created all these categories. It is because they fear God from that perspective that if you don't do exactly what's said, judgment will come. I get all of that. 
And so is God contradicting his own word here? You look at it from a historical standpoint. You think about when Israel was wandering around in the wilderness for those 40 years. What did God provide them? He gave them manna to eat. They didn't have to go kill anything. It was there on the ground. They just went out and kind of gathered it up, this, this, this weird, white, flaky material. In fact, manna, the, the word means, what is it? They didn't know what this stuff is. It, the Bible tells us it tastes like coriander seed with a little bit of honey mixed in. They didn't understand what it is, but they just knew that every single morning... Monday, Sunday through Friday, they get up and they go out there and it would be on the ground. But what happened on Saturday? There was none together. And so that right there tells us that they were not to do work on the Sabbath. God provided double on Friday to get them through till Sunday. And so is Jesus contradicting the word of God? I do not. I don't believe so. What I want us to see here this morning is that instead of contradicting the word, Jesus is fulfilling the word. Jesus rules over the Sabbath. He says he's the Lord of the Sabbath, but he's even more than that. And that brings us to a third principle quickly. The Lord is the Sabbath. The Lord is the Sabbath. As we talk about the Sabbath, as we think about it, we need to understand that it is a shrine in time. It was a holy period whereby time was dedicated for rest and refreshment with the Lord. This was God's gift to Israel so that they would have that regular day of meeting before the Lord and have their souls refresh. It's very similar to what we enjoy this morning on the Lord's Day. The church gathers on the first day of the week, each week, to start our week off with the Lord, with one another, in prayer, setting under the Word of God so that our souls could be refreshed. We learn here that the Sabbath was, Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Likewise, the law was made for man and not man for the law. As I said earlier, it is our tutor. It is the one thing God's given us to lead us to an understanding that we cannot earn our righteousness, but instead we look to the righteous one for his righteousness to be imputed upon ourselves. So the Lord is those things for us. We go to Hebrews. We see in chapter 4 of Hebrews. The writer there connects the Sabbath with Jesus and the gospel and the salvation he provides. There the real Sabbath rest is first this ceasing from work, ceasing from a striving to earn righteousness with God. And secondly, he talks about how by faith in Christ we're entering the rest that Jesus gives. And so the Sabbath is found in Christ who gives rest for eternity, not just for a day. That ought to be significant for us. Jesus doesn't just give us rest for one day out of seven. Jesus gives us rest for all of eternity. What do you mean by that, Pastor? You mean I don't have to do any work? We're not talking about that kind of stuff. We're talking about spiritual component. We're talking about us trying to earn our way back to heaven. What is the Bible all about? It's about redemption, right? It's Genesis 3. Everything's broken and messed up. And immediately, what are Adam and Eve trying to do in that moment when they ate of that fruit that they were not supposed to eat of? Immediately, their eyes are open. They see their nakedness, which speaks of their shame. They're hiding from God when he comes. They've made loin coverings from fig leaves to cover their nakedness. All of this happens in a moment because when the sin breaks out into their life, everything changes and they immediately try to fix themselves to their own detriment. And God comes walking in the garden and he's calling out to them. They're not running to the Lord like they once did. They're hiding. 
It's God who pursues, though. It's God who asks questions. Who told you that you were naked? Who, who told you? Did you eat of this fruit? He's asking them probing questions. What does that mean? He's bringing them to a place of confession. He's bringing them to a place of repentance. He's bringing them to a place of faith in him. And then what do we see at the end of Genesis 3? God himself killing an animal and making coverings to cover their shame. It's a picture of what Jesus would do in the gospel thousands of years later. That's what the Bible is all about. So as we look at the Sabbath and what it, all of it was about, it was not just about resting for your body. Yes, there's components of that, but we, feel, we find the fuller uh, feeling of that in Jesus Christ as he becomes our rest. The rest that was broken and lost in Eden is now brought back to us in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? That's what the Sabbath is all about. And so, I don't know that you've ever considered this. I trust you have. But if you ever ask the question, why do we as Christians, why did the early, we're following the tradition of the early church, why did the early church stop worshiping on Saturday, the Sabbath? Remember, they were all Jews initially. And why did they start worshiping on Sunday, the next day, the first day of the week? It's because they understood what Jesus has done for them. He is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. So everything that we've been working so hard to find, the rest that we've been pursuing, right? I mean, we, we even talk about how we live for, for, for the weekend. We, we're living for vacation. In our minds, we are always wanting to rest. Where does that come from? It's because there's an uneasiness within our hearts that only Jesus can satisfy. And he is our eternal rest in life. The rest he provided and the rest he gives us was foreshadowed in the Sabbath day. And so Jesus is rest for those who have faith into him as Lord and Savior. The Sabbath day has been set aside by the Lord, as we know. And for this reason, Jesus and his disciples were not breaking the Sabbath as they plucked and ate the grain. What they were understanding, well, I don't know if the disciples really clued into this, but what Jesus fully understood was as he was walking with them and as they're eating this stuff, all of that now is set aside because in his mind there is no need for a Sabbath day because Sabbath has come. Rest has come. Jesus is our rest. Those two sisters who were uh, hosting Jesus in their home, their brother was named Lazarus. You know, the first visit, Jesus came to their house, and Martha, as I said earlier, was busy. She was, uh, she was distracted. She had all these things going on, and she really never got to sit at Jesus' feet and, and just get to know Jesus. She was a religious person. Mary was the relationship person. But in John chapter 11, we see a whole different picture of Martha. A lot of time has passed. They probably encountered Jesus multiple times. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus loved this family dearly. When he heard that, G that Lazarus had died, that's what we read about in John chapter 11, Jesus wept. That's the one verse that you guys can memorize, right? Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in all the Bible. Jesus was moved. And yet he waits four days. He comes back to Bethany. He enters the area there, and Mary, or Martha and Mary, I believe, both probably heard that Jesus was coming. But the first person to run to Jesus was not Mary, it was Martha. Have you ever picked up on that? 
You would think that Mary, who sat at the feet of Jesus, would have been up and gone to meet Jesus. But no, it's Martha that does that. So that tells me that there's a transformation that took place in Martha's life. Once she was so religious, so distracted, so uh, about the forms of worship, now she's been transformed and she's about the relationship that coincides with worship. So she runs to meet Jesus. Yeah, her heart is broken. The first thing she asks is, Jesus, if you had just have been here, why didn't you come? Why weren't you here? If you had been here, Lazarus would not be dead. They enter this whole conversation of what has happened and what can happen. But I want you to see this morning that Martha had a transformation that took place in her life where Jesus became her rest. Even in her grief, even in her distraughtness, she runs to Jesus because he is her rest. She knows everything's going to be okay. Jesus says, he'll rise again. Oh, Lord, I know he's going to, the resurrection, I understand all that. He's like, no, 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 I am the resurrection and the life. In fact, I'm going to show you that, I'm going to prove that right now. Let's go see your brother. No, 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 he's been dead four days. He'll stink. No, no, roll a stone away. I'm going to show you that I'm the resurrection and life. And all of that, Mary had come to a place where she had trusted Jesus as her rest. This morning, are you resting in the Lord? Have you found that being in relationship with Him is so much greater than religious activity? Melissa shared a story of Maddie's accident earlier and. That was a really hard time. I can't imagine being the parent. It was a hard time simply being the pastor in that moment. What carries you through a, a tragedy like that? What carries you through a tragedy of a cancer report or a marital infidelity? What, what carries you through the deepest valleys that can possibly uh, inter, in, impact your life? It's not religion. It's relationship. God calls us to be in a relationship with him. This morning, I hope that's you. But if it isn't, today can be the day you step into relationship. Uh, there was once a day in my life that I was all about the religion. Man, I, 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 I did everything I could to, to make that religion fit and to bring me rest. But I was anything but restful. I, if you've been around a while, you've heard my testimony. And I, I've told you that there were times where I mean, I grew up in a church where it, they talked a lot about the end times, and so I believed it. I still believe it. I believe Jesus is returning and, and all of that stuff because the Bible teaches it. But there was moments in my life where my mom and sister wouldn't be there for a couple hours. This is before we all had cell phones, and I had no idea where they were. And so I'm thinking, I've missed the rapture. I, I missed out. I'm, I'm going to be a crispy critter. It's all over for me. And I'd call people that I knew were Christians and thinking, if anybody's going to go to heaven, it's so-and-so. They'd pick up the phone, and I would hang up on them. I just wanted to know I was still in good shape. That's how restless my soul was. And then April 24th, 1997, the gospel got a hold of my life and gave me rest. This morning, if you don't have rest, but all you have is religion, I would invite you this morning to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Do what these disciples did, faith into Jesus. Do what Martha did, faith into Jesus and find rest in him. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful this morning that you are the God of miracles. We heard a testimony this morning of the miracle of what you did in Maddie's life. God, what you continue to do in her life. Seeing her walk through the halls just this morning. Just kind of had that thought go through my head again. What a, 
testimony to the faithfulness and the power of God. Lord, you don't just work through medical tragedies. You're in the business of the spiritual. And the fact that any of us could be in relationship with you is is unthinkable when we really understand the magnitude of our sin, the separation it's brought, brought into our lives between us and our God. And yet you pursue us and call us. And Lord, you've done everything possible, not just to negate this sin and say it's not that big of a deal. No, the cross tells us sin is the ultimate deal. You've not glossed over sin, but you have punished it, having poured your wrath out, not upon us, but upon your own son, so that we could be forgiven. He's the substitute, and we're the benefactor. And we thank you for that this morning. God, I'm thankful for Martha and the story in her life of how you transformed her. Lord, that she was able to set aside forms of worship for true worship. And that comes in relationship. And this morning, in this room, watching us online, perhaps there are some who need to set aside forms for the real thing. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to do that. God, for us as believers who've been walking with Jesus, it's easy to fall back into that religious rut. Lord, I pray this morning there would be a desire within each and every one of us to walk freshly before you, to commune with you, to converse with you, to to be in relationship with you, not just in name only, but Lord, on a real basis. Help us this morning. God, I'm grateful for all that you've been doing in the life of our church in recent days. Many will join our church, be voted in this evening. God, I'm just grateful for that. We bring new people every single Sunday. I pray that you continue to do so. Lord, as you're drawing people to yourself and drawing people to your church, just continue to lead them in that direction. Even this morning, God, I pray that if it's time for some to say, you know what, I want to pursue membership, I pray they put their yes on the table. Begin to investigate that in the coming days and weeks become a member here God we're grateful we love you thank you so much that you love us now Lord as we respond to your word help us to do so in faith we pray in Jesus name Amen